Well, that is a fantastic uh, tribute to our Lord and a truth. Amen. Uh, You know, there are benefits to everything goes on. God always works stuff out. I don't know if you ever watched little Wesley Mize over here, but uh, some of our kids learned how to sit through church. He's like a man over here. Doesn't make a move. I don't know if it's out of fear of dad or love for Jesus, but I was watching him. What What a good young man. I didn't ask you to pray for Courtney a while ago. Courtney Mize's dad died, I believe it was yesterday, and we need to be in prayer for her. He was uh, sick, but there's never a time that it's good to lose your family members. We all hate that, so I want to have a special word of prayer. I'm going to interrupt us normally scheduled process here, and let's pray for Courtney and her family, if you would. Father, I pray for Courtney. She loves you. She's a good servant of yours. I pray for her husband, Justice. God, I pray you'd give her special comfort right now. I pray you'd help her, Lord, that she would be able to grow stronger and stronger in you and you'd help her through these hard times and this painful loss that she's experiencing. Please touch her and help her. Also pray for Lori Holt's mom who's suffering and at home now but still in bad shape from a lot of little mini strokes and the Holt's are dealing with a lot of stuff. They need your touch and I pray you'd do that. We'll give you praise for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, take your Bible, go with me if you would, to Psalm 48. And we're going to look at some other verses in just a minute. But I want to give you just some background here. When you, when you read and study the Bible, there's a lot of distinctions you need to always make. One, everybody is a creation of God, but only some of us are the children of God. In other words, God made everybody. But like people like to say, well, we're all the children of God. No, you got to get born to get in this family. Born again. you got to get physically born and then born again. But another thing you always got to watch out for is Israel and the church. God's talking to Israel. God's talking to the church. Old Testament's primarily about Israel. New Testament's primarily about the church. I always ought to ask myself, who is he talking to? How does this apply to me? How do I live this out? Uh, so we're in a psalm. And this psalm is a Jewish celebration. There's tons of things we can learn from it. But it's a Jewish celebration. It's a big deal. This is like the end of World War II. This is like, uh, but it's one city, one city, the principal city, the city of God, surrounded by Syrians, surrounded by people from Nineveh, surrounded by wicked, hateful, God-hating, God-mocking people. And God has worked a miracle. And so they're having a worship service and they're singing Psalm 46. And then when they get through that, who knows what happens? They sing Psalm 47, then they do something else. And then they sing Psalm 48. And so it is a tremendously wonderful psalm. And we want to learn from it how to praise God. This is for the Jewish people there, but it flat still applies to us. The verse says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. When I read this psalm, it tells me a whole lot of things about God. So I want to just take a minute and talk to you about this. We ought to want to know God. We ought to want to understand him. We ought to, he's a person. He made us in his image, and he wants to be known. So go with me if you would. At least watch it on the screen, write it down, and check it out later. Exodus 
33:13. Moses said, God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. I don't, you know, God's not some invisible force or power way out there. God is at work. In Psalm Exodus 33:13, he said, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, send me now thy way, that I may know thee. God, I want to know you, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. I want you to underline that I may know thee, that I may know thee. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Exodus 33, 18, same chapter, a little further down. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. All through the Bible, there's a hunger to know God. And you ought to always be reading the story and saying, that's my God. I love what it says in Psalm 48, in verse 14. This God, this God I'm learning about, this God that I know is our God forever and ever. He will be our God even unto death. In Psalm 42, 1, the psalmist says, So pants my soul after thee, O God. I'm like a deer, a heart, as it pants after water. God, I want to know you. God, I want to be close to you. He says in verse 2, My soul thirsts for you. God, I'm hungry for you. God, I'm thirsty for you. In Daniel 11.32, the Bible said, The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploit. The people that do know their God. John 17.3, Jesus prayed and said that they might know thee. I want them to know you, O God, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. In Philippians 3.10, this verse changed my heart. It changed my life. I'd been trying to live out of a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, and it's, I've spent my life trying to break free of that and learn to know him. And I was reading one day, and, this, and a verse out of Psalm 4 both jumped off the page at me, that I may know him. You know, you don't have to do stuff. He wants to know you. So I find several things in Psalm 48.1 that I just want you to underline about our God, about our God. Back in 1972, right at the turn into 1973, I had gone back to my house for Christmas, my mom and dad's house, and uh, my cousin was there. And my cousin said, you have a girlfriend? I said, no, no, no. He said, not even a girl you're interested in? I said, no, I don't have anybody I'm really interested in. He said, oh, come on. I said, well, there's this one girl. Her name's Betty, but she doesn't treat me very well. And uh, he said, well, let's call her. And so I couldn't do that from my daddy's phone. You would never make a long-distance call on my daddy's phone. You'd get in trouble. So we drove 10 miles to town and went to a pay phone. Uh, you younger people don't know what that is, but they used to have these boxes. You would open the door, step in, and drop your quarter in. And uh, I called Betty, and her mother answered the phone and said she's spending the night with another boy. There's a guy, family friend, and they had horses, but that broke my little heart. And I just want to know her. And then Mark said to me, well, tell me about her. And I started telling him about her. Well, you know, if you know God, you ought to know about him. You ought to be able to talk about him. And now all through the Bible, that's what's going on. Look at you in Psalm 48.1. Write this down. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Now you've got to understand what's going on. 
Sennacherib has attacked with 185,000 soldiers. Before he does that, he writes him a letter and says, your God can't do it. No other God has ever been able to do it. I have destroyed every country and all their gods, and I will whip your God too. And Hezekiah took that letter, and he went into God, and he said, that's what you're saying about you. And God said, oh, don't worry. I'll show them I am great. Amen. And 185,000 of them did. I need you to understand something. You might be thinking God is weak. You might be thinking coronavirus and financial turmoil and social unrest and all this junk's going on. You may be getting upset, but I got news for you. Great is the Lord. Psalm 48.1, not only is he great, he is worthy of praise. Look at the verse, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. You know, if you knew who God was, if you understood who he was, you'd be praising him. You'd realize he's still in charge. You'd be realizing his hands are not tied. You'd be realizing he still answers prayer. You'd be realizing that all the great things that the God of the Bible did, he still does. Praise the Lord. Amen? It wouldn't hurt you to say that with me. How about it? Praise the Lord. Not only that, he is a holy God. Look at Psalm 48, 1. He is holy in the mountain of his holiness. Underline that. Somehow we have chosen in our society, not you, don't take this first unless it fits, but the world and the Christian world has chosen to lower God. They've chosen to demean him, to make him base. They've chosen to use his name as a curse word. They've chosen to think that God is kind of not available anymore. But the Bible says he is holy. He is right. He is holy. He is pure. Not only that, do you know God wants you to know him? You know God wants you to know him? Psalm 48, 3 God is known in her palaces for refuge. Now, what in the world is that? They knew enough about God to know. Well, you can trust God. They knew enough about God to know he was a refuge. God that you can know. You can know God. Jesus wanted you to know God. I'm not talking about just salvation. Obviously, that applies. But it's much more than that. When I saw that girl who was spending the night riding a horse at her friend's house, I wanted to know her. I spent the last 47 years or 147 years, whatever it's been, I've spent that getting to know her. You know, you know God. Let's get to know God. He's a God who wants to know him. You know how you know him. You don't know him. You can know a little bit about him by looking at his handiwork, but he gave you a book where you can really know him. And you get in that book and you read about it and you know him. He's a powerful God. In verse 7 it says, You break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. I don't know. Let me give you a, a semi-modern story, if you've read history. The Spanish were the most powerful people in the world. They had basically conquered South America and much of North America. They were the most powerful people. And they were of a religion that had idols and worshipped saints. And they moved a Spanish armada against Great Britain. Great Britain would become, after this, a great powerhouse where missionaries would be sent around the world. When the Spanish armada was sailing, there was no way England could win. But a storm came. Because you see, God can take care of war machines. 
God can take care of coronavirus. And God can take care of everything. He destroyed He destroyed their war machine. He is powerful even over nature. He is loving and kind. Psalm 48, 9. He is loving and kind. I love this because as a boy, I was taught that the God of the Old Testament was cruel and mean and bloody. And thank God Jesus came along and softened him. That is so much a lie. Look at what the Bible says in 9. Thy loving kindness, O God. He is not just kind and he is not just loving. He is loving kindness personified. He loves you. He is merciful and kind to you. He has been so generous to you. People prayed and asked and God heard and answered. He is loving and he is kind. He's to be praised again. Verse 10, thy praise unto the ends of the earth. We ought to be trying to get people everywhere to know him and praise him. There are people that today will praise uh, Muhammad. There are people today that will praise Allah. There are people today that will praise Buddha. There are people today that will praise Hindu gods. But there's only one God worthy of praise. And people ought to know about him. He does pleasing, right judgments and good decisions. In verse 48, be glad because of thy judgments. He's eternal. That's important. You know that Our little world is really contrary to what your evolutionary scientist told you is probably more like six or 7,000 years old. But God, he never had a beginning and he never has an end. You say, well, who made him? Nobody. Where'd he come from? Himself. He's eternal. He's forever. That's wonderful. Since he made me and I know he's always been around and always be around, I can trust him. I love Psalm 48, 14. This isn't really part of the message. It was just kind of the introduction. I just thought it's still good. 48, 14, he will be our guide, even to death. You know, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is wanting to work personally in your life. He will guide you and direct you. He will show you. I, I believe with all my heart, God told me, showed me what lady to marry. I've been happily married to her all these years. I believe that God led me and directed me to come to Vision Baptist Church. I believe that God gave me the children he gave me. And as sweet a kid as Wesley is, I'll give us, I really believe it's the God who's showing them how to raise the boy. It's not them. It's our great God. We ought to know our God. Amen. Get to know God if you would. Now go with me again to Psalm 48.1. The Bible says in 48.1, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The greatness was not their armies. The greatness wasn't their city. It wasn't their weapons. It wasn't their power. It wasn't the height of their walls. It was great is the Lord. So underline that. The city is a great city, but that city is not great without God. God protected that city. The city of our God, the mountain of his holiness. It was situated right. It could only be attacked from the north, so it was beautiful for situation. It is the city of joy to the whole earth because Jesus died there, and Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, and a whole world evangelism plan started there for God to take the gospel. And somehow it got all the way over to Wrigley, Tennessee, where a little seven-year-old boy heard about Jesus. It's a great city because it's the city, in verse 2, of a great king. 
It is a great city because God protected them, a palace of refuge. Go with me if you would to verse 4. Now, you've got to understand, I, don't, I've, you know, I just want you to walk through this chapter. There had to be a conversation that went on amongst Sennacherib's crew and, and then later on other kings. How could a city calculate everything out and know we can't win? Because they couldn't win. When they looked out and saw 185,000 soldiers and all the war equipment, maybe their city was situated greatly, but there was no way to win. They could hold a siege. Their little conduit of water coming in would have never been enough. The city would have been decimated. So they send word to them. And when they send word to them, they say, you better give up because your God can't stand against our gods and we're going to kill you. And we're going to tear your city down. They should have reasonably said, we'll just give up. The king had to be thinking only a fool would ever consider something else. But Hezekiah said, you don't know where you are. You're in the city of our God. You're in the city of his holiness. You're in the city of the great king. And he went and said, God, I need you to do something. And when there was no way to win, when there was no solution, when there was no way out, God won. Now the kings walk by the city in verse 4. They get together and they walk by and they say, what is it about that city? What is it about Jerusalem? Why is it that we great kings, in verse 5, we look on that city and we're marveling. We're like, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they won that battle. But I'm scared. Let's run away. I'm afraid. And it's like woman's birth pains. I got to get out of here. What a God. What a God. I love the way in the middle of that song, they're singing, you know, this is church, kind of Jewish church back in the old days. And they're singing. And they're saying, great is our God. Great is our God. And they're all singing that. And they say, and you know, when the kings came here, they looked our city over and they got scared. Because it's not our city. It's the city of the great God. It's the city of a God who can break ships with his wind. It's a city of a God that takes care of his people. Psalm 48, 8. If you believe that, come coronavirus or come anything else, we trust our God. I'm not trying to be flippant. I tell you, take all the precautions. If anybody's been through some corona junk, I probably have a little bit on that. But you know what? We serve a great God. Verse 8. God will establish it forever. That's great. They knew. They knew. The reason our city is powerful is God did it. But I need to remind you of something else. Forever. Now we're millennial talk, aren't we? Now we're second coming talk. You see, that city's not great any longer. It's really the stomping grounds of tourists. That's about it. But it's a great city. It's the city of our God. Did you know that no army ever defeated the city of Jerusalem when they were serving God? But one day when Ichabod is written across the city and God has departed and there's no more power of God there, cities, Romans and others conquered Jerusalem. It's the city of our God, but it's not the city. It's our God. And this is the church of our God. But if we don't serve him and honor him, if he ever pulls his hand off of us, we won't make it. Because it's not about you and me. It's all about 
him. The psalm is about the city being God's city. In 48.1, the city of our God. In Psalm 48.2, the city of the great king. In Psalm 48.8, the city of the Lord, the city of our God. All these truths should drive us to worship him. All of these truths. When you read this, every Jew ought to have been sitting there going, we need to worship God. Sennacherib didn't die because they put some kind of magical incantation on them. Sennacherib's army wasn't defeated because of them. It was all God. And it is all God in saving you. It was God that came to find you when you were in your dirty pit of sin. It was God that called you. It was God that birthed you again. It is God that gives you eternal life. It's an act of God. It's not a simple incantation. You pray, it is, you realize you've sinned and you trust the living God. We worship him because we think of his character, loving kindness. Now you've got to understand, no God anywhere is like that. No God in the past, no God in the present has ever been like that. All gods are demanding gods. All gods. The gods of the, of the day of the Bible, the gods said, take your small children and put them in a big metal God whose arms were there, and they heated it and made an oven, and they had to sacrifice their children. That's not loving kindness. That's hate and mean and wicked. That's devil junk. But these people said, no, our God's not like that. Our God's not like that. You know, God's not demanding. The fact is, when you failed, he didn't give you a lot, of, a lot of rules to follow to get you saved. He gave you grace and sent Jesus to die for you. Worship him. Tell him thank you for loving you. Tell him thank you for being kind to you. His, he is so great. We ought to want to witness for him as we worship him. Look at 48.10. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. You know, his name doesn't strike fear. His name wakes up an emotion of love and beauty and kindness. He is the great God. But if you believe he is everything he says he is in this chapter, his praise ought to go to the ends of the earth. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we train missionaries. Because we know he is great. We don't go to conquer. We don't go to kill. We don't burn things down. We don't tear things down. We build with the name of Jesus Christ. And he is worthy to be praised. I know that he will unlock the chains of bondage of people in India. I know he'll change the atheist lives in China. I know he'll bring joy to people that are suffering in Africa. I know his praise ought to go to the ends of the earth. Why? Verse 10, because he is full of righteousness. He is just right and good. What a God. There is no deception. There is no trickery. There is no deceit. There is no lie. He is a great God. You know, he's a God that always does right. No matter what happens. No matter what happens, he does right. Chapter 48 and verse 11. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters be glad. Why? Because of thy judgments. You see what happens? God does right. God does right. Hudson Taylor's wife died. And he got extremely discouraged and depressed. And he kind of disappeared for a couple of days and he came back to preach her funeral. And when he got back to preach her funeral, they say, he said, I just want to thank God 
for giving her to me. He's been good to me. And he said, second, I want to thank God for letting me have her as long as he did. And he said, then I want to thank you for taking her because I know he knows best, even though I don't understand. But God always does right. What a God. Worship him. What a God. Worship him. Worship him. You can trust his decisions. And then think about this. He's always protecting us. He will keep us. Psalm 48, 12, walk about Zion, go round about. I don't know if you catch this, but basically they're saying in these verses, walk around Jerusalem, check out the walls, check out the towers, check out the strength, check out what we got going and how God has protected us. You need to walk around and think about that. God's watched over you. God's met your needs, your health today. Hey, I've been out of the hospital 30 days today. How in the world is that possible that I could stand here and preach to you? I can tell you, walk around and look. Don't look at me. Look at him. He is great. I would take forever and preach on this one, but I won't. Look at Psalm 48, 13. You better tell it to your kids. They need to put their phone down for a minute. They need to put down their iPad for a minute. They need to turn off the TV for a minute. There needs to be some time when daddy says, Son, I got some stories to tell you. The fact is, some of the stories that you're ashamed of, you ought not be ashamed of. You ought to say, you know, I was lost in sin, and I was living wicked. You don't have to describe it, but I was a wicked person. I did not know God, and you don't know me as a drinker. You don't know me as using drugs, and you don't know me as being an immoral person. But one day, he came, and he found me, and he convicted me, and he saved me. And he changed me. They need to hear that. They need to hear about the time you were having financial trouble and you don't know what you're going to do. And you went alone and said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do, but thank you. I know you'll take care of it. And then God did. They need to hear that. They need to grow up thinking, my daddy and my mama serve a great God. Tell the stories. Tell the st- it bothers me sometimes that y'all don't do testimonies here. It bothers me that you don't just stand up and say, I got a story to tell, because that's how you learn. There was a young man, I, got, I ain't going to finish, but, but Bruchko, he went to Columbia as a missionary kid, and when he got there, he wanted to teach him, and they weren't interested in teaching, but he figured out at night when they laid in the huts, they told stories. And so he said, well, maybe I could tell some stories. So he's laying in the hut and said, you're not going to believe this, there was a time when man rebelled against God, and he just told the story, and they all were like, wow, we love your stories. You need to tell your story. Tell it to the generation. He's our forever God, verse 14, and he will guide us to death. Now, are these truths in the New Testament for us? Do we see the same kind of teaching for us? I'd like you to go to Philippians 4, 6. I know you've been there so many times you've got to memorize. That's good. I'm glad you do. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. You're not to worry about anything. You know why? Because <laughs> at one time, God was in a city, but today he's in your heart. At one time, he dwelt in an earthly building. Now he lives in the hearts and souls of men and women that have trusted him. He still guards and keeps us. He said, be careful. Don't y'all worry. You know, you've been worried too much about all that's going on. You're scared. You're like, man, I'm give me the virus. I'm going to die. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry because you serve somebody bigger than the virus. I'm scared to get on the road and drive. Somebody will kill me like I tried to kill a preacher this morning. But God will take care of us. 
in everything. We pray and we ask and beg and we thank him. We tell him what we need. Our requests are made known unto God. And then this verse ought to just thrill your heart. When you learn (coughs) to take your needs, to take your needs and go to God and say, here it is, God. I don't know what to do, but I'm trusting you and I'm thanking you. You get to step away saying, I just turned it over to somebody that's able. And I can have peace that passes all understanding. And that's where you keep your mind in verse 8. He is able to keep you from sin. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to fall in sin as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus. In Jude 24, keep you from falling, present you faultless. To his glory and majesty and dominion and power. You know, God is keeping us. He not only saved me, he's the one that keeps me. That's eternal security. He saved me, he keeps me. He saved me, he watches over me. He saved me, he answers my prayer. He can be trusted with your faith and commitment. In 2 Timothy 1.12, he said, For the, with the call, which cause also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. Look at this. For I know whom I have believed. You see, he knows God. He says, I know who he is. I know his character. I know how he acts. I know how he responds. I know who I have believed. And I am persuaded after knowing him that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Won't be long. You'll be laying at death's door. But you can know this. You trusted him with your salvation. And you trusted him with your life. And he is able. And he will keep you. He will keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now, I got one last verse. I don't want him to depart. I wouldn't lose my salvation. But you can lose the blessings that God has in your life. You need to understand something. Grace is not an excuse for sin. And it's never okay for you to flippantly enjoy and take what God has done. So Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.11, and he said this, Dearly beloved, that's my family, the people I love, the Christians, the church. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Let me just stop there. This world is not our home. Now you listen to this. I'm just a stranger here. Let me explain stranger. I'm a foreigner. I'm an alien. I don't think like Americans think. Now listen to me, I don't. I don't think like Americans think. I don't think abortion ought to be okay. I don't think we ought to be fighting for our rights. I don't think homosexuality. I don't think like them. See, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I'm a foreigner. You probably don't understand that unless you've been a missionary. But I mean, when you're a missionary, everything's weird. And everything's different. I mean, in America, you go to the bank. Back in the days, we used to do normal stuff. You pull up and there's two or three little windows open outside or you can go in and you might have to wait behind one person. You get to Peru and it may take a half a day to cash a check. And you're like, what's wrong with these people? That's kind of how I feel about this world. I'm a stranger here. You're a stranger. Not only are you a stranger, you're a pilgrim. A pilgrim's a traveler. He's not putting down roots. He's not putting down roots. He's a pilgrim. He's moving on through. He's here today and he's wandering on somewhere else today. This world is not my home. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And since you don't belong here and you're just traveling through, abstain from fleshly lust. There is a war against the soul. Whether you understand this or not, 
the devil would tear you away from serving our great God. Now, you wouldn't lose your salvation. He'll keep you. He'll also whip your little rear. But anyway, he'll keep you. But you ought not want that. You ought to always think of this. I'm not like them. I was in Peru and uh, living there for 20 years and a little bit of racism against even me, but tons of racism everywhere you go in the world. And uh, they'd always say, yeah, well, you're white and you're from America, you're rich and you're powerful. They'd say all that junk. They said, and then someone would yell at me and say, why do y'all kill babies up there? And I said, oh, wait a minute, let me explain something to you. I have a new king. His name is Jesus. I have a new constitution. It's the word of God. My home, heaven. You can't blame me with American stuff. I'm again it. I am a stranger and a pilgrim. Now, that God is our God. Did you check out that last verse again? I had you read it a while ago. Read it one more time. Psalm chapter 48, or the 48th Psalm, the last verse. This God, the one we've learned to know about, is our God forever and ever. This God. Serve him. Honor him. Magnify him. Don't get tied up in this world. Don't let them entangle you in the affairs of men. We serve Jesus. Father in heaven, I love you. And I pray that you do work today. I pray that your name would be glorified and magnified. God, I pray you'd save anybody that's watching or listening that doesn't know you. And then I pray, dear God, that you would strengthen Christians to believe you and to look to you. God, I ask you to work. God, I ask you to move. I ask you to show your power. God will give you glory. We know you are our God, a great God, the God, and we humble ourselves in your presence. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't know you go to heaven when you die. He loves you. You remember how Jerusalem is the joy of the whole earth? That's because the God-man died for you. He shed his blood so you could be saved. He came because he loves you with that loving kindness. He does not want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to suffer the consequences of your sin. He wants you to be saved. Would you trust him today? Would you be saved today? Would you let him do a work in your life? If you would, I'd like to help you. You can come to my office. You can talk to some of the leaders of the church that will be around. You can contact us via email or any other way. We want to help you trust Jesus. Now, Christians, I call you to remember, it's he that makes us great. It's he that gives us victory. And we want to serve him. Abstain from fleshly lust. Live like strangers and pilgrims in a wicked world. Father in heaven, would you do a work today? Would you show your power? I'll give you great honor and glory for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.